is your definition of success that I want to have, you know, so many followers on social media? And why do you want that? You know, it's like breaking it down. Like, what is the actual reason that you want that thing? Welcome to A Success of Our Own. A Success of Our Own is an invitation for us to courageously define our own version of success beyond the mainstream metrics we've been told we should want so that we can create a sustainable and joyful success that we can finally relax into. I'm your host, Natalie Ruskin. I'm a journalist with an inquiring mind, a meditation teacher seeking the divine, and a community gatherer helping others live life more inspired. This podcast offers you the opportunity to learn and grow through inspiring personal stories of transformation, ideas, and practices. As you listen to this podcast, breathe it in and let it slow you down even a bit. Trust that simply listening in this less effortful way, you'll experience a shift. You'll find that puzzle piece you've been seeking. Join me in this moment, and let's take a risk together at living a success of our own. The very first time I met Caroline Marie Brooks was at the hectic morning drop-off for our kids' junior kindergarten class. It was the early summer of 2021, and as the kids lined up outside to have their little hands sanitized, my attention moved to this red patterned dress worn by a beautiful mom who smiled sweetly at her son as her long dress danced around in the morning light. Standing there in my COVID drop-off uniform, leggings, running shoes, and ponytail, I couldn't resist but tell this woman how much I loved her dress. She thanked me and told me that she wore it to her show last night and decided to throw it back on today. She shared that she was a singer-songwriter and part of a woman's trio named The Good Lovelies, and that she had just released her first-ever solo album that month. Later that morning, time suddenly stood still as I played her new album on my living room speaker. Her music was a sound for a sore soul. I heard my own story through her songwriting about parenting through the pandemic. I kind of feel like like in parenting, you think you've got it sorted and then everything changes. And I felt hope again for my dust-covered dreams. One of them was to have a show of my own, and Caroline inspired me to do it. Beneath her Massey Hall track record, awards, and high-profile collabs, she's so refreshingly free of that performative ego stuff you'd expect from someone this accomplished. And I realized that the only way I could do a good job was if I was just myself. I couldn't pretend to be someone I wasn't. I want to ask Caroline about how she stays so authentically non-performative as a performer, something I'm still trying to figure out myself. And I want to know what practices keep her out of that endless instant gratification cycle of likes and follows. 
Hi, Carolyn. Hi. <laughs> so a big reason why I asked you to be my first podcast guest, other than the fact that I find you extremely inspiring and that you said yes, <laughs> is because of how you show up on stage in a totally non-performative way. I think I struggled through my adult life with being a people pleaser and trying to figure out how to present myself in a way which could win me approval, work, accolades. My sense is that this need to be performative shows up when we feel that we aren't enough. We've had many deep chats at the playground after school, <laughs> and I've witnessed you now numerous times play and sing on stage. You are refreshingly real, authentic, and yet a total pro in your stage presence. So I want to hear how you remain a non-performative performer. And before we go any further so that I can feel authentic in this conversation with you, I wrote this script and I'm like, oh shit, what did I say about before we go any further? What's coming? I did this at like 5.30 a.m. today. I was wondering if we could start today's conversation by each sharing an intention for how we'd like to show up for this episode. This practice really helps me get out of my own way and just show up as me. So what's your intention, Caroline? Um, my intention is to be honest, talking about success. We can't talk about it without speaking about failure. So my intention is to show up honestly. Love it. My intention is to be present, to look into your eyes and just be here now in this moment with you. I love that. You've been singing since you were a child. Mm -hmm. What was one moment for you that stands out when you made a decision to be real versus performative? It definitely has been a journey for me to find myself on stage. I was really lucky I got an early start at it. My parents are musicians. They like to joke that they had children to have singers in the family <laughs> band, which is not the most cost-effective way to have singers in your band. <laughs> but I had a lot of early access to the stage, so we we're singing with my mom and I remember she would like do these hand motions on stage and my sister and I would be like 14 and 16 just being like, oh my God, mom, please stop. Please stop. But now I realize mm. she was being herself. That was mm. what she did. It's not what I do as a performer. So we had, yeah, there was like an authenticity in those early days where we showed up on stage as kids of the parents on stage. Like we were clearly, our role was, these are our children, they're joining us on stage. So there was no like mask around it. Then I hit teen years and into my early 20s and I maybe wanted to be a little more mysterious on stage. And I tried all these different kinds of performing, like singing in rock bands and being a backup singer or, you know, performing with Bo Broken Social Scene, which felt outside of my comfort zone. Mm. And I realized that the only way I could do a good job was if I was just myself. I couldn't pretend to be someone who I wasn't. And that's not the case for everybody. There are people who get on stage and they really truly perform. And I have so much respect for that. But for me to do the job as 
well as I can do it. I just have to be who I am. What does it feel like for you in those moments where you did kind of shift out of being yourself, whether it's with Broken Social Scene or other, the rock band? Yeah. Like, do you remember the visceral experience of what it feels like when you're kind of drifting away? I could feel it immediately. It was like a sense of discomfort. I don't ever want to be on stage in discomfort. And that that translates itself now to many aspects of like wardrobe I'm wearing on stage or like I don't wear things that don't make me feel comfortable or free. Even if a certain outfit looks amazing, I'm not going to wear it if I feel restricted and not myself. I have to be myself. I always know when I'm drifting away from my authentic self because there's like a, a feeling in my stomach where I'm uncomfortable. I use my gut a lot in my decision making and that has helped me over the years just really hone in on what makes me the most comfortable on stage. When you talk about discomfort and I'm remembering back to one of our schoolyard chats, which by the way, unofficially I'm calling the no small talk club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where we go deep quick. Immediately we have 10 minutes while our children are on the swings. We've talked about the good discomfort. Hmm right? So there's the discomfort of like, oh, I'm drifting away from what is authentic. But then there's also that other discomfort, which is where magic happens. How do you discern between the good discomfort and the bad discomfort? I believe that we talked about this when I recently got a residency to write in Banff. Mm -hmm. I immediately got this sense of a little bit of imposter syndrome, which always puts my flags up. I'm like, why am I feeling that? Why do I feel unworthy of this thing that I really want to do? But I also had this like kind of butterfly feeling of nervousness and excitement. They can be really close together, but that feeling always tells me that it's something that I should do. I had to lean into that one for mm. sure. I knew I had to do it, though I was uncomfortable. I'd never done something like that before. But I absolutely knew that it was like a path to growth for me as a writer, as a mom, and as a performer. There's like a, a sense of hope and excitement that's built into that discomfort that's mm. different from the, you're being inauthentic, you're not doing this for the right reason, you're doing this because of your ego. Those are two separate things. I almost sense that whereas the first inauthentic one is like in the gut, it's like a contraction mm, feeling, like mm -hmm. a tightening, whereas mm -hmm. the other one is this lifting expansion butterfly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like there's a – even though it's still that feeling of like, oh, my God, the airplane's finding it's like cruising altitude, <laughs> it's still a sense of being lifted. Yes. Totally. Mm. Totally. That's a great way to describe it. The – Ego contraction one is very telling mm. to me. And it's one I get like if I spend too much time on social media, for mm. example, and like, how many new followers do mm -hmm. I have? And like, how's this song being received? How many playlists did it get on? Like, that is not the feeling that is going to help me grow as a human. So I need to like, I have to acknowledge it because it is there, but I have to choose the the creative well-being, the like good butterfly feeling. And going outside of my comfort zone in a way that, yeah, is going to help me grow rather than hold me back. I watched a Shania Twain documentary recently, and my perception was 
witnessed her being morphed into something which seemed to take her away from her natural essence, sacrificing her own integrity for the sake of the status, the success. And I felt sad for her because somewhere along the way, she seemed to sell herself to the shoulds. For you, Caroline, how have the shoulds shown up in a way where you had to make certain potentially difficult choices to stay in integrity with your values? There's been a lot of shoulds over the years and a lot of it around maybe physical appearance, Mm -hmm. how we present ourselves on stage. I've had a lot of unsolicited (laughs) advice at the merchandise table. I mean, even on our first (laughs) music video, one of the first comments, which is still there like 14 years later, says like chubby chicks with great voices, things like that. I feel pretty secure in knowing who I am, Mm. even back then, Mm. to laugh about it. When I was 16, I was uh, very much into ballet. I was a ballet dancer for many, many years, and I loved dancing. And I had a teacher when I was 16 make a comment about my weight and my body changing, which I had, like, no control over because I was 16. And my reaction was not to, like, go starve myself. It was Mm -hmm. like, uh, okay, well, I guess this thing isn't for me. I'm so grateful to that 16-year-old and that that was her reaction and that I've had this like healthy feeling about my body. You know, it comes in waves, of course, but I feel really secure in who I am. What is your current version of success and how has it changed over time? It kind of has two arms to me. There's like, there's the obvious arm, which is financial well-being. Like, I can't ignore the fact that I need to contribute to our family. Like we have to put food on the table. And I I did want to mention that because Mm. we can't ignore that, you know? So is my work financially viable? And then the other arm is, am I creatively satisfied? And this is hugely different than it was for me almost 20 years ago. So I've been a full-time musician this year for 15 years. I've been doing music since I was a kid, although it nev- I didn't really think for sure it would be my job until I was in my mid-20s. Then I saw a real path forward for it. I'm a very pragmatic person in a way. Mm. Like I was really willing to not do music full-time if that meant that you know I was happy and our family was – I always wanted a family, but – if I knew that my work was satisfying, even if it wasn't music. But I feel in the early days, a lot of my belief in my success was directly related to how many records do we sell? What kind of places are booking us? And how many people are in the audience? Mm -hmm. Those very defined metrics. Now it's different. It's like playlisting. It's like how many people are streaming your music, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So those were like really easily identifiable. It's like, are we successful? We won a Juno in 2010. And that was like, Mm -hmm. that was a big deal for us. And it was amazing. And I will never forget that moment. But it was so interesting. We were nominated for the record after and we lost. We didn't win. And all of a sudden I was like, well, we're not successful. Those years were very very exciting. So we were playing all these new festivals. And every time we opened our email, there was an offer to play, you know, Winnipeg or like all these really amazing festivals and and shows. And so we saw a lot of growth in those days. But 
now it no longer for me is the way that I measure how mm. successful I feel as a, a musician and a parent. Mm. There's so many other parts of it. So the creative satisfaction now is at the center of, along with financial well-being, at the center of how I measure my success as a person. And that is manifested mm. in many different ways, like mm. making things that are meaningful to me and having it resonate with people I love. But I will no longer open Spotify and say, wow, that song got a million streams. That means it's a good song. I don't live like that anymore. Do you have the urge to do it? Is there a bit of a workaround that you have to coach yourself with to not go down that path in terms of involuntary need to check, am I enough? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do struggle with it a little bit. Like, I realize that all of that dopamine that I'm getting from, oh, I posted a reel and there's so many views and all these people are commenting on it. Like, I have to rationalize myself to be like, well, this has actually been created to make me act in this way. Mm. Yeah, I have to really be mindful because it's easy to be swept into it. Having my kids call me on my phone use is very helpful. <laughs> You know, they're like, uh, oh, I know it. Uh, can you get off your phone? I'm like, I'm working. <laughs> you mention how that piece around like financial stability and how that's important for you, and you're clear on the role that that piece plays in your overall sense of success. Are there any spots for you? Any places where that financial piece collides or comes into conflict with the creative piece? It r really requires a lot of upfront investment. So I'll use Banff as an example because this is the most recent experience I had in a really focused creative time, which was incredible and it definitely mm. changed me. And I mean, I'm paying to go and work. It's very interesting to be spending money to do my work. And in order to do my work, I need some kind of space mm -hmm. where I can really just be. <laughs> and that does not always equal financial stability. You have to be able to see the long term. But if I can get enough of that satisfaction, creativity, and time to write and to create, then it allows me maybe to take on some of the other work that will pay the bills. It's a bit of a balance. Mm. What is a metric for success as a mother for you? Like what, when are those moments where you're like, yes, this, I feel successful. I don't know if I would ever use the word metric. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, seeing them independent is mm. a big one. I'm trying to model to them, like I have an untraditional job as a woman, even in 2023, you know, like my male colleagues do not get asked how much they go on the road. Like they just mm -hmm. don't, you know, I'll, I'll be on tour with other bands and I get very different questions. Oh, how long are you away for? Is your husband babysitting the kids? I'm babysitting. Like, he's not babysitting. He's taking care of our children <laughs> the same way I would when he's gone. It's so interesting. I kind of feel like, like in parenting, you think you've got it sorted and then everything changes. 
I don't know that there's a really a way to measure it except mm. to look them in the eyes and be mm. like, are you okay? You know? Mm. Yeah. And to see them independently thriving is such an unquantifiable experience mm-hmm. that maybe self selfishly we can claim partly <laughs> as a byproduct of our our efforts. Yeah. But there's also this like sense of wonder and awe for yeah. the privilege to witness that and to have some small part in it. The freedom piece with kids is really important to me. Trying to let them be as wild as possible mm. for so long. It's a, it's like a common theme in my songwriting is like trying mm. to be wild even myself as a I think that's what I'm coming back mm. to a lot is like that rest or that feeling free and I want my kids to experience that for as long as possible because we all know like the society that we live in really pins us down. It gets us addicted to social media. It gets us addicted to a certain need for validation. And when my kids are running around and wild and free in the woods or even like in our neighborhood, when I give them the freedom to go to the park by themselves, I see it in their faces. They're like alive you know, that we we are so rigid with ourselves and we're rigid with our kids, I think, a lot of us. I'm trying to give them freedom for as long as I can, but it's hard for sure. Thank you for that. And I feel people hearing that and being like, oh, the way you say it is so both urgent and generous. Like there's just this recognition of, oh my gosh, in what ways am I being rigid and How can I compassionately to myself and to my children just loosen the grip a little bit and give space permission to be wild and free and... For ourselves too. Like it's really great to have practices and things that we know, but like not to be so hard on ourselves, you know, like, damn, I didn't get my journaling in today. I'm so mad at you. Why didn't you do that, Caroline? Like, that's not a good way to live. Like being generous and forgiving. And Mm. so my kid is like, I can't sleep. It's okay. You Mm. know, like, honestly, you'll sleep another night. (laughs) It'll be fine. There's always another night. There's always another night. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wish that was the way it went. There's always another coffee. (laughs) There's always another coffee your to-do list will be there I don't know I struggle we all struggle with that feeling but I just want to feel a little free you know my well-being is in my hands and especially since I have had kids their well-being is in my hands now any decision that I make is not just for myself it's for my family unit as well now there are some really early days with my daughter when she was born we had a whole year of touring booked Mm -hmm. she was a delightful surprise (laughs) and I took her on the road when she was nine weeks old and yeah it was wild and I now know that that was too much for me but Mm -hmm. I did it anyway so I have learned a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. over time and and one of them is I'm getting better at saying no, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm still not, it's not my strength mm-hmm. as a human. I often lean into yes before mm-hmm. really thinking about the ramifications. My success as an individual musician or performer or writer is all wrapped up in 
in my kids now. And um, it checks my ambitions a lot. I went touring with my daughter. That first year, she we did like 80 shows that year. Oh and gosh. she flew everywhere with me. She was just attached to me. And I'd run backstage and nurse her between sets. Like it was a lot. But I still had this idea that I could do everything. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a mother, but I am doing everything. And now that piece around learning to say no is also wrapped up in them because my time is not just my time anymore. And as they get older, it's shifting a lot more. Like I'm having to hold my horses a little bit. You know, coming up on an album release year, I'm really mindful that there's going to be more time away for touring, which is the main source of income as a musician now, at least for most of us. Those definitions of success are like wrapped up in the well-being of my kids too because I feel responsible for that. But sometimes it does put the little warning bells mm-hmm. up like, Carolyn, are you really going to say yes to this thing? What are some of the practices and tools that you've integrated in your life to keep you kind of mainlined with your own version of success so that you don't so easily get pulled by that tide of Mm-hmm. likes and accolades? Yeah, the two main things are journaling. And the morning journaling is really helpful for me to stay focused and creative. And also walking or running. And I try to do that without a phone and mm-hmm. without music or mm-hmm. podcasts or anything because it helps me stay centered. Also lets my mind wander because – You asked me off the top about my intention. I'm going to be like really honest that Mm -hmm. I'm going through a period of time where I don't have a lot of free time. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of like scheduled blocks. And I've been thinking a lot about how creative people, they need rest and boredom. And I do not have that in my life Mm -hmm. right now. And I'm really, really craving it. Like the ability to just stare at a lake Mm -hmm. or sit on a bench and let my mind wander. It feels a little hard for me right now, but in the times that I can do that, I find that I am less wrapped up in all the things that sort of drag me into that Mm -hmm. cyclical, like, you know, bad gut feeling Mm -hmm. about my worth Mm -hmm. as a human. I feel like sometimes I'm really good at it. And then there are other periods of time for whatever reason, I have to just settle into life in motion and feel like a little bit out of control and knowing that at some point I will be able to pull it back. That's part of the life as a musician is that there's feast and famine. Mm -hmm. So there's a new record coming out in the fall. I'm also writing songs for a new solo Mm -hmm. record. There's a a lot happening right Mm -hmm. now and I kind of have to let myself go to that place knowing that at some point I will find Mm -hmm my rest. I'm like hearing my younger sister in my head being like, okay, what is this journaling thing that everybody (laughs) talks about? I know clients of mine are like, uh, they're intimidated, they're Mm -hmm. daunted, and it feels like only something for writers. What is your journaling practice? Yeah, I have felt that too. Like I have friends who are very ritualed daily journaling. And I'm like, what do you write in your journal? How do you do it? For me, I have to get out of my own head. So I actually do a lot of like processing of things that are hard for me. So I Mm. use my journal a lot to be like, okay, I'm in this headspace. 
let's say my kid isn't sleeping Mm -hmm. and it's really messing me up. So I do a lot of that kind of journaling where I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to let anybody read those journals when I'm dead. Like Mm -hmm. it's in my will, like do not read my journals. (laughs) Sure, there's some nice poetry in there, but like mostly you'll just probably read about (laughs) something you don't want to know about. Sometimes I write about like experiences to not forget how I felt in that moment because we're humans. It's so easy to like, mm. like I really wish I was journaling a lot when I first had my children. I I didn't in that mm. time because I felt uh, all the obvious things. Mm-hmm. But I try to journal in times that I really want to capture the feeling that I'm having. But then sometimes after I've gotten a lot of that out, I'm able to access like a stream of consciousness writing. Mm. I, I know there are a lot of people who start with stream of consciousness first thing in the morning, but I, I can't do that. It doesn't work for me. I've tried it for years and I just get cobwebs. Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. I have to write about my life or things mm-hmm. I'm experiencing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then I can move into more creative writing later. And one of my experiences is that if you can't get it done first thing in the morning, which is, you know, usually the best time for me anyways. Yeah. If I'm like it's 2 p.m. and I'm feeling like knots inside because I can't Mm. get through my workflow, I just take like 10 minutes just and I walk away and I just write like this is this is pissing me off or this isn't working for me or whatever. And then I feel like I can come back to my work lighter. I mean, I love hearing you talk about this practice in this kind of detail because it's the antidote to that restless, tight Mm -hmm. feeling of like, there's not enough time. I have to get this out there. What are they going to think? I haven't done enough today. And like, you can imagine from that metric of success where it's like, I have to deliver this, 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 there's no space to pause and check in and rest and trust that there's something that needs to be listened to and kind mm-hmm. of like released on a page and yet how efficient just that 10 minutes what it opens up for you and creates yeah it's it's like walking or running or moving just it helps me clear my mind which is my you know greatest enemy just clearing clearing the page a little bit physical activity also is a huge one for me for managing Allowing me to access my creative self, but also managing my feelings. What is your one piece of advice for people struggling with reframing their own success? So if you're struggling with this idea of success, break it apart and see how much of it is related to ego. Is your definition of success, oh, I have to earn a certain amount of money. Is that related to your ego? Is your definition of success that I want to have so many followers on social media or Mm. so many people? And why do you want that? You know, it's like breaking it down. Like, what is the actual reason that you want that thing? And if it's related to ego, question it. Mm. I'm not saying that ego is bad. We all need ego to be human beings. But it's something I'm trying to practice for myself. Like, why do I want to play that show over this show? What makes that better than this? And really, really picking it apart and getting at the why. So before we go, I want to do something vulnerable as a testament to how committed I am (laughs) to this this. project. As I shared with you, 
something my younger son relies upon to help him go to sleep, and he's seven now, is me singing a song to him before bed. And we, it's based on songs that I know lyrics to. And by the way, <laughs> he's already pointed out that my lyrics for Somewhere Over the Rainbow are incorrect, and it, he's okay with it. I, I would love to sing a few lines with you. We sing the song, You've Got a Friend. Love that. Okay. Can you sing me a couple lines so I can get it in my mind? Okay. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing Oh, nothing is going right. More? Yeah. (laughs) Close your eyes and think of me. And soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest nights you just call out my name and you I feel like someone just put like a sub woofer on my engine when yes. Caroline came yes. in. Oh my God. I'm like, I sound so good. <laughs> Look at that. It was we amazing. Need an app for that. <laughs> oh, it was fun. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank thanks you. for having me. What a pleasure. I love the theme music for this podcast. Guess what? It's from the song Night Drive, track number two on Caroline Marie Brooks's solo album, Everything at the Same Time. To listen more, go to her website, carolinemariebrooks.com. I love that Caroline talked about journaling in this conversation. It's such a cornerstone of my own daily practice and I want to share some tips for those of you who might be wanting this sort of thing in your life but you don't know how to get started. So I've created a free download for you on my website to guide you through how to set up a daily journaling practice. Just check it out at natalieruskin.com that's n-a-t-a-l-i-e R-U-S-K-I-N.com. You can also find details in the show notes. I also want this podcast to be successful. And one of my metrics of success is to share my message with those who might benefit from hearing it. So if you feel inspired by what you've heard here, like it. Or if a friend or colleague comes to mind, share it with them. And finally, I'm a work in progress here, people, and I'd love to hear from you. What topics, what themes around success would you like to hear more on? 
send me a note at natalie at natalieruskin.com. That's my first name, Natalie, at N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-U-S-K-I-N dot com. 